You're tuned in to Louie Live, and I'm your host, Louie, and we are definitely live. It's Friday night, 6 p.m. We're going to start the show off with a little bit of Bush. Machine Head, here we go.
All right, that was Bush with Machine Head. And you're tuned in to Louie Live, and I'm your host, Louie, and we are definitely live. I hope everybody's having a good Friday, and they're out of work, or on their way home from work. This week went by pretty fast. We had some pretty good weather there for a while, and it was feeling like spring. Now that we turn the clocks ahead, the days are getting longer. It gets dark around 7.30 now, which is really good. That's probably one of the worst things about winter, in my opinion, is the darkness. It's very depressing. You know, I can deal with the cold, and I can deal with the snow, but I just don't like the darkness. It just seems to go on forever. Shine a little bit of light. Turn the clocks ahead. Today the weather's kind of nasty out. We have a nor'easter coming according to the weather. I don't think we're going to get the snow that they say we're going to get. Here in the Burlington and the Valley section, they're talking about like six to nine inches. But one thing you notice, folks, the storm is coming up from the south. And we're supposed to get about six to nine inches, they say. But if you realize the wind is blowing from the north, and the storm is coming from the north, right here in the valley in Burlington, Vermont, kind of pushing the southern storm down and around us. Right on over to like New Hampshire and Maine where it belongs. We don't need any more snow. My opinion, winter is over. Let's get it on with. Starting to see some grass out there. All we got is a few snow banks left. And this snow today is really wet. And it doesn't seem to really be sticking much. So if it warms up overnight, it'll probably turn into rain. And here in the Burlington in the valley, along the edge of the lake, we might not get that much snow at all. Maybe just a couple of inches, enough to cover the ground. But if the sun comes out this weekend, it'll melt, be gone. And I think this could very well be the last storm of the season. So let's keep our fingers crossed. So, if you're listening to my show right along regularly, you'll know that I read articles that we all see off the local media, local news, news across the country, across the globe. We'll get to it eventually. This is an interesting article right here. This is where a lot of people get their news, and a lot of it's fake. From Facebook. It says, Facebook says it's storing millions of passwords in plain text. Can you imagine that? Right there in plain sight. and People didn't even realize it. And it claims that uh, Facebook left millions of users' passwords readable by its employees for years. The company said this past Thursday in acknowledgement it offered after security research posted about the issue online. And by storing passwords in readable plain text, Facebook violated fundamental computer security practices. Those call for organizations and websites to save passwords in a scrambled form that makes it almost impossible to recover the original text. So you're thinking that your passwords or everything are safe. Facebook is an organization that has 2.2 billion users worldwide. So you think they would be using some high-tech software programs 
you know, like it says, scrambling your passwords. But nope, they're hiding them right here in plain sight, in plain text. Facebook said there is no evidence its employees abuse access to this data, but thousands of employees could have searched them. The company said the passwords were stored on internal company servers where no outsiders could access them. Well, I don't know if they've ever heard of the word hacker, right? A lot of people can hack into pretty much any system. Even young kids nowadays are pretty well advanced at hacking. A lot of these people end up getting caught. And then the next thing you see, they're working for the government trying to hack into other people's websites and whatnot. So the incident reveals yet another huge and basic oversight at the company that insists it is a responsible guardian for the personal data of its 2.2 billion users worldwide. You know, folks, whenever you go to a website, that website stores cookies on your computer so they can track you also. And then they'll send you all these newsletters pertaining to the sites that you visited. I've seen cases where I've been on eBay looking at a pair of shoes. And then I switch over to Facebook and that very same set of shoes I was looking at on eBay is now being pushed at me on Facebook saying, hey, Louie, how about another look at those shoes? Don't go away yet. Maybe you'll change your mind. Make us an offer. Nobody's information is private anymore. I can remember when George W. Bush was the president and he found out that Osama bin Laden had written a book can you imagine that? And it was in our libraries in the United States. And George W. Bush wanted to know who was checking out this book written by a well-known terrorist, Osama bin Laden. And the people on the left went into a frenzy. They were like, how dare you want to know which books I'm taking out of the library? Nowadays, they don't even care. You open up the news and all you see is this company server got hacked. Your information has been passed around to the world. It's all you ever see. All these computers are tracking you when you have that phone in your hand, which most people do at all times. People sleep with a phone next to their head People are always walking around with a phone in their hand or it's in their pocket or their pocketbook. It's the best tracking device in the world. And people are spending thousands of dollars to buy a phone. It's like reverse psychology. People are like talking about putting a chip inside of your body so the government can track you and know what you're doing. People's like, how dare they want to track what I'm doing and put a chip in my body? So what do they do? They've got a GPS chip in your phone and they're tracking you. You go on the internet, you go on all these websites, they can see just what you're doing. They can see where you're shopping, they can see what you're reading, they can see what music you're listening to. There's no privacy anymore, folks. And like I say, one day there's gonna come 
a time when everybody's going to have a chip in their body. Maybe we already do. We don't even know about it. But it's going to be a big help to law enforcement, in my opinion. Because somebody could be murdered in this room that I'm in sitting in right now at, let's say, 6.35 p.m. Well, law enforcement is going to be able to hone in on this room and see exactly who is in this room at any given time. They can log in 6.35, they can log in 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 6 p.m. at night, 6 a.m. in the morning and see exactly who is in this room according to the chips that everybody has in their bodies, GPS tracking them. You might be able to do away with a lot of law enforcement officials. You'd say, okay, these three people were in this room at that time span. Therefore, one of them is guilty of murdering whoever they found on the floor. Then you'll be able to bring these people in and question them. And I've always said there's going to come a time too where they can hook you up to a machine and they can see everything that you saw. They'll be able to see all of your thoughts. They'll be able to know if you were in that room, they'll be able to see everything that you saw, everything that you did. There's already movies about that on television. And someday it's going to be a reality. And when it comes to that time, there's not going to be any reason to have a court system. No reason to go to court, get a lawyer, plead not guilty. Because we're going to see everything that you saw. We're going to see all of your thoughts. And we're going to see whether you killed the person in that room or not. Just think of the money you could save. It's going to happen, folks, and it's probably already happening to this day. Because like I say, they're using reverse psychology on people who don't want to have a chip put into their body because they already have a chip in your telephone. And they can already see everything that you're doing at any given time of the day or night. That's going to happen. This is kind of a sad article right here. It's about the UVM Cats basketball team. They fall in the NCAA tournament just the other day. It says the Cinderella slipper didn't quite fit for the University of Vermont men's basketball team. The 13th seeded Catamounts pushed fourth seed Florida State to the limit before falling with a total score of 76 to 69. The UVM men's basketball team put up a strong fight, but in the end, Florida State was able to call on its size advantage and depth to return the earn win. Vermont actually jumped out of an early start with a nine point lead. It was tied at the half, and UVM led by one with under 12 minutes to go before Florida State slowly pulled away. The three ball kept Vermont in this game. UVM hit 16 three-pointers and shot 50% from downtown. So they did pretty good. 
they held their own. And there's always tomorrow, right? And here was Cats coach John Becker immediately following the game. And he says, I'm really proud of my team. And I want to thank all the fans that came down from Vermont, from all over New England, and from all over the country. Really, we felt you. We heard you out there. It meant a lot to us to see all that green and gold out in the crowd tonight. It was a special experience for our team. And unfortunately, we weren't able to win the game. But we'll take a lot of positives away from the experience, Becker said. So see, even though they didn't win, they showed good sportsmanship. And that's also called class. And that's what sports is all about. It's a game. Speaking of sportsmanship, I like to watch hockey and baseball and football. I like all sports. But let's go to football for a while. Talk about that. Talk about the New England Patriots and its quarterback, Tom Brady. Now, a lot of people, they hate Tom Brady. They can't wait for the day that he retires. And you ask yourself, why is that? Well, they're tired of seeing Tom Brady winning all the time. And they're tired of seeing Tom Brady winning the Super Bowls all the time. The last three Super Bowls, he won two. He's the oldest quarterback in history, 41 years old. He claims he's going to be around for another 40, well, four years, he says, till he's 45 before he retires. The odds are pretty good that out of the next four years, he could win two or three Super Bowls. He could win every single year. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? You know, why do people hate Tom Brady and the New England Patriots so much? Well, from what I see, all these teams that I watch, they only have basically one goal, really. If they can achieve getting the first down, then basically their main goal is to get close enough to kick a field goal and put three points on the board. That's a God's honest truth. Nobody can deny that. I watch so many games, it's nothing but turnover after turnover after turnover after field goal after field goal after turnover. If I'm watching that for the first quarter or so, I'll just change the channel. I won't even watch the game anymore. These guys are professional football players. They get paid tens of millions of dollars, right? Some of them sign contracts for hundreds of millions of dollars. And basically, their only goal is to get close enough to kick a field goal. But you never really see that with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. They're there to win the game. They practice hard. One thing about Tom Brady is, like, if they have to go play in, in uh, Denver, Colorado, up in the mountains, where the air is thin, they will go there for a couple weeks and practice and get used to the altitude and the thin air. They're serious. Other teams, they just sit around all weekend like eating a bucket of chicken, and then they show up at the game, 
Then they play. Well, the score was 9-6. to six. Three field goals versus two, basically. Nothing but turnovers and field goals. But one thing these teams can all say is that whenever they do play the New England Patriots, they have to go for it. They have to go for the touchdown. They have to take chances. Playing the New England Patriots actually brings out their skills and makes them better athletes and a better team. That's what I see with the New England Patriots. And that's why people are tired of Tom Brady. You know, people say, well, there's other teams that have won more than six Super Bowl rings. Well, there is. But they had three or four quarterbacks to achieve that. Whereas the New England Patriots only had Tom Brady. He's got six rings on his finger. All from his hard work and diligence. And that's what I like about the New England Patriots. Can't take that away from them either. And these other teams, they got to show some class and some sportsmanship. And so don't the fans. That's exactly what the coach of the UVM Cat said. Gave everybody their due. That's what it's all about. If you win or lose, you show up, you play your hardest. Afterwards, you go and congratulate the other team and say, next time we're going to try harder and maybe we'll win. It's too bad everything in life wasn't like that, right? So we're going to go on to another song here. This is by uh, Collective Soul. Get it to play here. Been having a lot of issues down here at the radio station lately. A lot of glitches. So this song is Collective Souls. And hope you enjoy it. And once again... You're tuned in to Louie Live, and I'm your host, Louie, and we are definitely live.
All right, and that was Collective Souls with a song called Heavy. So where do we go from there? Stay on some local news for a while, then we'll switch over to national news. This article right here says uh, St. Albans family is bewildered by sap bucket theft. Says a St. Albans family has lost their entire maple crop and has nothing to do with the weather. One of the trees tested at 7.3 sugar content, which is amazing, said Maureen Lake, who takes pride in the maple she and her husband Fred make at their small Franklin County operation called Fred's Shed. It's kind of catchy, huh? It has won awards at the St. Albans Maple Festival which is every year and it's a really good place to go to because they have all of these people that make different maple products and you can go there and sample them and buy them. It's a really cool thing in the little town of St. Albans. And it's done the hard way by hand, it says, gather a sap in buckets along Macrum Shore Road. The family produced 40 gallons of the sweet stuff last year as noted on their wall of fame but they just made an unsavory discovery. A sap bucket bandit hit their sugar bush. So 100 sap buckets were stolen originally, and then 40 replacement ones were stolen again. It's insane, huh? Who would do something like that? They were just the classic metal buckets that were hanging on the trees said St. Albans Police Sergeant Paul Meridis. Police are investigating and wonder who could do something like this in a hard-working farm community, especially here in Franklin County, the county being the agricultural county of Vermont, it says. And there's a lot of maple producers here, and we have the Maple Festival here. This really hits home. And as always, if you have any information, call the St. Albans Police. It's a dirty world, folks. That sounded kind of political almost. I've seen it myself during a political season. People go put their signs out and then the other people running for office and their people will go around stealing them. Pretty dirty, huh? And now... These people are having their metal buckets hanging off the trees to collect sap. Stolen. And it says there's a lot of competition up there in that area. Well, there you go. They only produced 40 gallons last year. Doesn't seem like a lot, but it is a lot of work when you have to go out and collect the buckets and take all that sap and boil it down. Takes a lot to make a gallon of maple syrup. A lot of hard work if you're doing it like that. Nowadays, they just have all of these tubes hooked up to the trees. And they actually have pumps that pump the sap right out of the trees and bring it down to the sugar house. And they have these big collection containers. And then they just come in and they turn on the heat and boil it down, turn it into maple syrup. All the hard work mostly is gone out of the 
way they uh, power the syrup nowadays, like these people here, they actually have the sap buckets hooked onto the tree like the old days, and they have to go collect it. But nowadays, they have all these tubes, like I said, hooked up to the trees, drawing it down to the sugar house. And one thing I've always wondered about is, like the wildlife out into the woods. What about the deer? Especially at nighttime when it's dark. I don't know how good deer can see in the dark, but let's say they're being chased by some koi dogs or something. And koi dogs are down low to the ground and they could probably run underneath all of the tubing fairly easy, but a deer's running along and probably gets caught up in this tubing, making it easier to be caught by the koi dogs or whatever's chasing them. Myself, personally, I don't think it's a good system to have all this tubing running through the woods, kind of blocking the pass of the wildlife. I have my doubts about maple syrup. In my opinion, trees are basically filters. They filter the air. They filter the pollutions out of the ground. Let's say, for instance, here in Vermont, which is really known for acid rain because they claim the wind blows this way from all these bigger states that have these coal-fired plants and whatnot, and their pollution blows right on over to Vermont. So it rains carcinogenics down onto the ground, gets collected through the leaves of the trees, the trees absorb these carcinogenic acid rain out of the ground, goes into their system, kind of like mother's milk, right? And then it comes out of the sap. So you have to assume whatever the tree absorbs from the ground, all of this acid rain, it's going to end up into the sap, wouldn't you think? It just makes common sense. And then it ends up into your maple syrup. Kind of like when a pregnant mother goes out drinking and then that alcohol goes into her system, whether her bloodstream goes into her milk that she feeds the baby, you know, just makes sense that the mother's nursing this alcohol by way of her milk. Seems to me like the same situation goes for trees. The trees are absorbing these carcinogenics out of the ground, this acid rain ends up in the sap, goes right into the maple syrup. That's my opinion. Maybe it's better just to stick with a syrup that's made in the laboratory somewhere, as you know, and then produced in a warehouse in a manufacturing situation. You know, something from test tubes. Who even knows what that's good for nowadays? Seems like everything's bad for you. I saw this article right here. It says, uh, the New Hampshire VA hospital is chosen for new safety designation. And it says, the New Hampshire's only VA medical center has been chosen as part of the new incentive an initiative to put procedures and protocols in place to maximize safety, to minimize harm. 
Sounds good. The Manchester Medical Center is the first in the Veterans Health Administration system to become a high-reliability organization. The term identifies leadership, commitment, employee engagement, creating a culture of safety and continuous improvement as critical. It also empowers veterans and their family caregivers along with employees who work hands-on with veterans to make decisions and impact improvements. We'll see where this goes, right? In 2017, top officials from the medical center were removed after the Boston Globe reported whistleblower complaints about substandard treatment and unsafe conditions. A task force made 29 recommendations, including expanding mental health programs and services for women and older veterans. Well, this is a VA hospital. Men and women are veterans. But I don't know why it points out services for women and older veterans. Why doesn't it just say veterans? Why does it have to say women and older veterans? If it was the other way around, people would say it was sexist. And there'd be lawsuits flying all over the place. That kind of bothers me. I believe in equal rights for men and women. But when I see all of these organizations about woman power, you would never see that men going out and say, manpower, have all these men organizations because they would be calling these men male chauvinist pigs and they have. You would think we would get away from that. It's just all about, like I said, it's a veterans hospital. There are men and women that are veterans. No need to say women and older veterans. You could even just say people. Yeah, whenever I hear somebody say woman power or I read about all of these organizations helping young women to become aware of certain things and helping them to strive, I'm thinking, what about young boys? Somebody needs to be there to help them too, right? I mean, isn't that one of the reasons why the Boy Scouts allowed girls to join their organization? So that they can have the same ability to achieve these goals that the Boy Scouts do? Wasn't that what it's all about? And now you see on the news that these girls are starting a Boy Scout troop but there's no boys in it. It's just all girls. I mean, where's the logic in that? The girls are welcome to the Boy Scouts, but then they start their own little troop with no boys. But they're still calling themselves Boy Scouts. See, that's where the world is going bad, folks. Things are too politically correct. Every time you turn on the news, there's a new catchphrase out there. It's becoming impossible for people to understand one another. 
back in the old days. Life was simpler. People weren't as educated. People spoke their minds. They know how to get the point across. They didn't need seven different terms for one situation. You know, folks, that's the difference between a man and a woman. I'm going to point that out right now. See, you could ask a man, where were you? And the man will say, well, I was going to have a cup of coffee, and I realized I wouldn't have any milk. So I went to the store, and I bought some milk. That's it. I went to the store, and I bought some milk. Now, the same situation with a woman, okay? A woman will say, well, I was on the phone with Betty, and uh, she was telling me about how her cat had to go to the vet because he stepped on something, and he had something in his paw, and she took it to the vet, and while she was telling her about this, you know, she was decided to make herself a cup of tea, but then she realized we didn't have any milk, so then she had to go to the store. So while she was at the store, she saw George, who used to work with, what's his name, over at that, what's that place over there? You know, down there across from, across from that restaurant that we went to last week. And uh, you know, the one where we saw, what's her name there? The one that's uh, related to the mailman. And see how I'm saying, folks? It goes on and on and on. So they're at the store, they saw this guy related to that guy and this guy and that guy that goes on forever. And then they say, I was there to buy some milk and then I came home. Whereas a man will just say, well, I realized we're out of milk. So I went to the store and I bought some milk. It might take a man maybe 10 seconds to explain that. But with a woman, she could go on for maybe 10, 15 minutes easily. Because most women have the gift of gab. Whereas men don't. And that is the difference between men and women. Women are more detailed. Maybe that's why more men are loners. And maybe that's why they have more women's organizations. And that's why women are always helping one another. Because men figure, I'll just do this myself. I don't need to get into full details about things. That's one thing about me, folks. Like, I can sit at a computer, and if there's an issue, I can figure out what it is and how to repair it. Now, as far as explaining the situation and what I did to correct it, that'll probably never happen. Because that would be too complex and too time-consuming, and I'd rather just show you what I did in a matter of minutes so you would know how to correct it if you ever came upon the situation yourself. But, like I say, women are talkers. I don't know, maybe they do start scout troops and the reason there's no boys in it is because maybe boys would rather just be off on their own doing things instead of discussing it forever.
Maybe it's time to move on to some national news, right? This situation right here. The TV show Full House with Aunt Becky. Remember her? She could be on her way to prison. And it could go either way, experts say. Because what they're doing, a lot of these celebrities, wealthy celebrities, they're donating tens of hundreds of millions of dollars to these schools to get their kids there. And the kids didn't even attend. And it says, some of the wealthy parents accused of paying bribes to get their kids into the top universities may get short stints behind bars if convicted to send a message that the privileged are not above the law. Some lawyers say, but others predict that most, if not all, will end up with probation and a fine. Particularly if they quickly agree to accept responsibility and cooperate, which observers anticipate many will do. Well, they're all actors, right? They'll just go in there and do a little sob story and maybe shed a tear or two and they'll get some probation. Nothing will happen. Says, if the parents are well represented, it is reasonable to expect that mostly none will go to jail, said former federal prosecutor Jacob Franco. These are not the type of offenses for which judges exercising their discretion would normally put people in jail, he said. The parents ensnared in what prosecutors have called the biggest college administration scam ever prosecuted by the U.S. Justice Department include Hollywood stars Lori Laughlin, who played Aunt Becky on the sitcom Full House, and Felicity Huffman of Desperate Housewives. Other parents are prominent figures in law, finance, fashion, and food in the beverage industry and other fields. Prominent people with money to buy their way out of trouble, folks. That's the way of the world. The common person would be behind bars. So prosecutors have said, though, that they believe other parents were involved and that the investigation dubbed Operation Varsity Blues continues. The parents are charged with conspiracy to commit mail fraud and honest services mail fraud, a count that carries up to 20 years in prison, although defendants, especially first-time offenders, typically get far less than that. So attorneys, for at least some of the parents, are likely negotiating deals. Isn't that how it goes, folks? Isn't that what got them in trouble? Negotiating deals? And authorities have lots of leverage to push parents to plead guilty by promising to bring more charges like tax evasion or money laundering if they don't. And that's just typical of the world. That's what they did to Paul Manafort, Michael Cohen. That's what the Mueller investigation is all about blackmailing people to put them in prison for tax evasion and bank fraud, whatever. People are all guilty of it. Just squeeze them till they say what you want them to say. Gonna go to another song here. And this one here is by Tool. And it's called Sober. Once again, you're listening to Louie Live, and I'm your host, Louie, and we are definitely live, and we're rounding out the first hour of the show, and I hope you're enjoying it so far.
with a song called Sober which I'm sure a lot of people this weekend aren't going to be sober I might have me a beer too you never know it is Friday night usually on Fridays after I get done doing a show I go home and eat some sushi seems to have become a ritual sushi is good for you there was a time when I didn't like sushi, but it's an acquired taste. A lot of sushi nowadays doesn't even taste anything. You know, you might have some salmon in there. It's wrapped up in rice. might have a piece of celery in it, but it's basically tasteless. And then you drown it in soy sauce. Wash it down with a beer or two, right? It's all good. Low calories. You could eat about a dozen or so pieces of sushi and you're only going to have about three, 400 calories the most. It's more calories than a couple beers that you're drinking along with it, right? So, this is an interesting article right here. It says, should Vermont make a formal apology in reparations for slavery? Okay, well, it says... At least five members of the Vermont House think it's worth studying and hope to create a task force. You know, there's always a task force to figure out how. I don't know how. Vermont's broke, doesn't have any money. There aren't enough people in Vermont to tax. That's the problem with Vermont, folks. I've said it a billion times. The government's the largest employer. There's only about a half a million people or so in Vermont. There's not enough people to tax to pay their salaries, not to mention the pension. Vermont doesn't talk about it much, but we're over $4 billion in the hole because of the pension plan. And there's no way out of it. There's just not enough people in Vermont to tax. And now they come up with this harebrained scheme to pay people $10,000 to move to Vermont. Why would you want to move to Vermont? Vermont's like one of the most anti-business states in the United States. 
It's one of the highest tax states in the United States. So, it says House Bill 478 won't be passing anytime soon, but could stoke passions and lead lawmakers to consider difficult questions about the past. It says, people of color, marginalized communities are suffering and our country generates a big, vast majority of wealth on slave labor. To this day, folks, there's people being used for slave labor in Vermont. A lot of them are illegal immigrants. People say, well, they need to come to America and do the jobs that nobody wants to do. Well, they talk about farming in particular. People love to farm. People love to listen to country music. It's just that when they work on farms, they don't want to pay you nothing. There's no benefits. And a lot of these farms nowadays in Vermont, folks, they have thousands of cows. They're big business. Multi-million dollar businesses. There's no reason they can't afford to pay a decent wage and maybe some benefits. We don't have to sneak these eagle immigrants in here. That's slavery right there. Are we supposed to give reparation to other cultures? It says, uh, Jada Longmore Burlton, who testifies in the House Government Operations Committee Wednesday as Representative Brian Sinna, progressive of Burlington, introduced his bill. This task force would study and consider a state apology and a proposal for reparations for the institution of slavery, Sinna said. He says Vermont's original constitution prohibited slavery. Okay, so on one side of the fence you say, why should we give people reparations? Because the Constitution of Vermont prohibited slavery, but with exceptions. He says even the family of famed Green Mountain boy Ethan Allen held slaves in Vermont. What we see is that slavery didn't just end. What happened was there was this gradual transition from slavery to systemic Racism. Even to this day, folks, like I said, there's slavery. Black people have been slaves in the history of the United States. Asian people have been slaves. Irish people have been slaves. Even white people have been slaves. You can Google it. Pretty much everybody in the history of the United States have been captive as slaves. And to this very day in the year 2019, folks, you call it immigration, you call it illegal immigration, it's slavery. When you are giving people jobs at non-livable wages with no benefits, making them live the life of hardship, that is slavery. I don't care what you keep telling yourself. What you think in your head is wrong. Say, well, people deserve to come to the United States. Well, everybody's welcome in the United States, but they have to come here the proper way. We don't have the money to give reparations to anybody. It would be nice if everybody was given money for something that was done wrong to them by the government or businesses, but it's just not going to happen. You know, and people in the legislation in Montpelier, they should be focusing on 
more important things like property tax reform, creating jobs. They don't focus on what's important in life, folks. All they talk about is legalizing marijuana and whatnot. It's insane. I don't even know why a lot of them are holding office. I think they just like to have that title in front of their name. Senator Brown. We'll move on to this article right here. It says, a man who sought drugs smuggled by sled gets two more days. And that's a North Carolina man who court documents say imported drugs from Canada utilizing the dark web is going to spend two more days in jail for plotting to steal a shipment of counterfeit Xanax pills valued at $1.6 million. Yazid Al-Fayed Finn of Cary, North Carolina, who pleaded guilty last summer, was sentenced this past Wednesday in federal court in Rutland in time served since his February 2018 arrest plus two days. So he's been in jail for about a year for this. Prosecutors say Finn traveled to Vermont in January 2016, planning to steal almost 200 pounds of pills that had been dragged across the border on a sled by a Quebec man who was apprehended by Border Patrol agents. Can you imagine that? 200 pounds of pills, Xanax. In court, Finn apologized for his actions. Well, doesn't that just make everything dandy, right, folks? A heavily redacted sentencing memo said Finn was a shy, introverted geek who morphed into somebody imported drugs from Canada utilizing the dark web. Well, folks, even geeks would find it easier to smuggle drugs across the border than actually go out and work a decent, respectable job. I've worn a lot of hats in my time. Done a lot of construction, a lot of plumbing and whatnot. It's all good. Puts food on the table, pays the bills. It's honest work. This article right here says uh, 12 protesters arrested after New York vigil. They've been arrested at the New York State Capitol while holding a vigil seeking more financial resources for programs to help the homeless. Well, that's good. They didn't have to get arrested for it, though. The individuals were briefly detained late Tuesday after they refused to leave the Capitol when it closed for the day. They included homeless and formerly homeless people as well as advocates pushing for more funding. They had hoped to hold a 24-hour vigil, but instead left and returned on Wednesday. The vigil comes as lawmakers and Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo are working to put together a new state budget before the April 1st start of the new fiscal year. Hopefully there's more funding in there for the homeless. The group wants lawmakers and Cuomo to increase funds for a rental assistance program for low-income families and individuals at risk of becoming homeless. Wouldn't it be nice 
if they could pressure the landlords into lowering their rents. That would be a big start, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if people weren't allowed to own so many rental properties? They used to have these laws folks call capital gains where you could buy a home and you had to live in it for about five years before you could sell it. Otherwise, you would have to pay all of your profits in capital gains, which would discourage people to buy properties and flip them for a profit, driving up the cost of the real estate, making it non-affordable for people to buy homes and increasing the amount of homeless people. Because that's exactly what it's all about, folks. You know, people, they don't want to work for a living. They don't want to work all their life and wait to retire. They want to get rich now, and they want to retire now. People living for the moment. And they did away with those capital gains laws. And now you see all these shows on HGTV channel called Flip Flop or Love It or Listed. All these shows where people will buy a home. They'll go in there and roll, renovate it. Put like maybe forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 into renovating this home. And then sell it within two months. About on the average. And make maybe $50,000 or so profit. And then the people can't afford to buy a home. People are struggling to come up with that 5% down. All because somebody wants to make as much profit as they can within 60 days and move on to the next place to purchase, invest in, and flip it. It's the problem with the world, folks. Greed. Greed and education. I've always said that education would ruin this country. Pretty much done a good number on it, that's for sure. Students get out of college. They're like $50,000, $100,000 in debt, maybe even more. They get a job, doesn't pay them enough to cover their student loans, their housing, their automobile, their insurance, groceries. It used to be that one week's pay on the average would pay to put a roof over your head. The second week pay would cover the essentials like groceries and the loan on your automobile. The other two weeks of your pay, you could take one week and put it in the bank or go out for a couple nights a week, have a beer or two, socialize. But now, you see all of these people working two or three jobs. They can't even afford to make ends meet. People can't afford housing. They can't afford automobile. I see a lot of people walking down the street. They don't have an automobile. Some are homeless. But one thing they do have, most of them all have a phone. It's crazy, huh? It seems like uh, the world is turned around and people's Priorities aren't what they used to be. 
this article right here says a uh, judge rules that a South Burlington development project is too big. I mean, we don't have any housing. So when someone finally does come around to build some housing, the judge rules that the project is too big. It's on hold after a judge has ruled it's too big and needs to be downsized. The decision from the Environmental Division of the Superior Court takes aim at Spear Meadow Project, a proposed development near Swift and Spear Streets. The city said yes to the 2017 plan, but some neighbors and residents opposed challenging the development in court. Well, everybody knows that Swift Street and Spear Streets is where the upper crust live. Some rich houses down on Swift and Spear Street, folks. Sounds to me like they don't want this uh, development moving in. They're complaining it's too big. Maybe they're rental units or condos, I'm not sure. But they're going to contest it and they're going to fight. It says one of the biggest changes in the ruling is the number of housing units the developer is allowed to have from 48 units down to 31. That's quite a drop, isn't it? From 48 units down to 31, especially when there's no housing pretty much throughout the whole entire state of Vermont. What the court said in its decision is that the city's regulations, the city's zoning bylaws don't match the requirement of the state enabling law, said Paul Connor, South Burlington's planning and zoning director. Where the city and the state disagree is on a term called TDRs or transfer of development rights. TDR started in South Burlington in 2006 to balance the environmental needs of the city as well as to address housing concerns by putting limits on how many units can be built per acre. Well, it's looking like it's down to 31 in this situation, folks. Connor calls the changes technical but says the city wants to have the same language as the state so they know they are in compliance with state laws. One thing they also do is release a lot of preserved land. The state of Vermont is pretty much green, folks. You can fly over it at nighttime. And you don't see a lot of lights on beneath you when you're flying over Vermont in a plane at night because a lot of it is forest and it's land that's all owned by the state and it's all preserved, the majority of it. You could do logging on a lot of this land, do a little bit of, uh, you know, just cutting out some of the dead trees and whatnot, you wouldn't even know that it happened. And you could cut down enough trees throughout the state of Vermont, folks, to build everybody a house for free. But will that ever happen? No, sir. Never in a billion years. Because greed is what rules the world. I don't know why they have to preserve so much land. You know, Vermont is one of the least populated states in the United States. There's approximately a little over 600,000 people. There might be a lot more than that, but they don't hand out the census as often as they used to, I don't think. And then people don't feel it or have the right to fill it out legitimately. 
they were just putting together the census. They wanted to ask the question on there, are you a citizen? A lot of people are opposing that. They don't want it on the questionnaire. You know, should you even have to ask if you're a citizen? I don't think so. It's like the war between the North and the South, folks. You know where the 11 states left the Union? All because they wanted to preserve slavery. And that was one of the big causes of the war between the North and the South. Over 600,000 people died. It might have not been exactly the cause of the war to free the slaves, but it had a lot to do with it. I don't care regardless of what people say. You can Google it yourself and read about it. And that's one of the first things that happened. 11 of the states, the southern states, left the Union to preserve slavery. And that was the snowball that turned into an avalanche. It's one of the reasons Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, because he freed the slaves. And that's what's going on today, folks. A lot of people are bringing in illegal immigrants to work on the farms, work construction jobs that all of these educated people don't want to do. You have to keep the unemployment down. Makes the politicians look good. A lot of people leave in states like Vermont, California because there aren't any jobs. The government is the number one employer in Vermont. They're bringing in illegal immigrants to do the jobs they don't want to do, like cleaning your house, mowing your lawn, painting your fence, working on your car. And they create sanctuary cities. So if they're driving and they're not supposed to be and they get in an accident, they have this catch and release program that Obama created when he was the president. It's a heck of a thing when somebody can be involved in a car accident and they got no insurance or license and they're let go. They might be given a citation to show up in court and they never do. They're trying to pass laws in Vermont and other states so that illegal immigrants can drive just for this purpose. They're working construction jobs. They're like, hey, go down to the lumber yard, pick up some lumber. Here's the keys to the truck. They'll give them a license. They'll give them insurance. So if they do get in an accident, there's no way that they can be arrested and ICE agency will pick them up and deport them. I think it's going to come to a head, folks. You know, there's something brewing in this country. It's a war against good and evil. I think in some situations, the Supreme Court is going to have to step in and make a ruling against sanctuary cities and states. People don't realize that 
the more illegal immigrants that you bring in, the less chance that an average non-educated person has to putting food on their table and take care of their family. It's not right. There should be laws where if you're a business person and you hire illegal immigrants, then they have the right to come in and seize your assets and your all your properties. If they pass that law, you would see all the illegal immigrants packing up and leaving the United States because no one would hire them. The only chance they would have to exist would to go into the crime world, selling drugs and prostitution and whatnot. And if ICE agency is allowed to do their job, they'll gather up these people and deport them. And what we need is border security. It's what I don't understand, folks. Why is everybody so hell-bent on trying to get the House, which is controlled by the Democrats, to pass a budget with a measly $5 billion in it for border security. Because everybody knows what they should be focusing on is the fact that when George W. Bush was a president, Obama was a junior congressman, and he voted to pass $50 billion for border security. And so didn't Harry Reid at the time, and Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi. They all did. $50 billion they passed for border security. And when George W. Bush walked out of office, this money was handed over to Obama and his administration. So what people should be really focused on is, where is that $50 billion dollars? What people should be focused on, instead of trying to get a measly $5 billion out of the Democrat-controlled House for border security, they should be focused on when Hillary Clinton was a Secretary of State and over $8 billion came up missing from her department. No investigations. Nobody got prosecuted. Nobody went to prison. They should be focusing on where is that $8 billion? We could use that to build a wall on the southern border. You could be securing the northern border so this guy I was just reading about wouldn't be pulling 200 pounds of Zantax across the border on a sled. Both borders need to be secured. So, so far, we have $50 billion that was passed by the Bush administration, by Obama, Pelosi, Schumer, Harry Reid, and on, and on, and on. $58 billion missing. Well, that's just a drop in the bucket, folks, compared to the Obama administration. They passed $1 trillion for shovel-ready projects. Remember that? $1 trillion. You have to ask yourself, are the bridges better in your town? Are the roads better? No, they're not. Are the schools better? Did they do any repairs to Burlington High School? 
No, they didn't because now they want to tear Burlington High School down. They just passed a bond in the city of Burlington, $100 million to build a new high school. They don't say where, they don't say when. They didn't show any plans for the new high school to show people this is the proposed new high school and this is where it's going to be and this is what it's going to cost. They didn't propose any of that to the people. So how could anybody with a lick of common sense go down to City Hall or whatever on voting day or over to St. Mark's School where I happen to live how could anybody with a lick of common sense go in there and vote to raise your property tax to the tune of a $100 million bond to build a new high school and to help upgrade some of the sewer lines and water lines, they said. How could anybody vote for something like that when they don't even know what it's going to look like or where it's ever going to be? And these things always pass on the first time around. They need over 60% of the people to vote to approve something like this. And if anyone's ever been living in the city of Burlington for a while, they know that the school budget, for instance, has never passed the first time around. It usually takes three or four rounds of voting to pass it. And the only reason it passes then is because the people are so sick of coming out to vote for it. So you tell me, folks, where has all that money gone to? One trillion dollars for shovel-ready projects. Fifty billion dollars approved for border security. Eight billion dollars missing when Hillary was a Secretary of State from her department. That is what people need to focus on, folks. Not a lousy $5 billion from a budget of $4.5 trillion last year. They say even for a margin of error, it's more than $5 billion. So you have to ask yourself, regardless of your political affiliation, Republican, Democrat, Progressive, Libertarian, myself, I've always been an independent, but you have to ask yourself, why are they fighting so hard to pass $5 billion for border security? And then you read these articles about how they just imprisoned one of the largest drug dealers in the world, El Chapo. They seized like $15 billion of his money, which would build a really nice wall. Ted Cruz of Texas, that's his proposal. Take these assets from El Chapo and put it towards securing the borders. Could even put his name on the wall, just as a lesson to future drug dealers. We catch you, we're going to take all your assets, and we will use it for border security and law enforcement in the war against drugs, which you don't hear about anymore. There's no longer any war against drugs. 
they want to build an injection sites on every corner so drug addicts can go in there several times a day and get a shot of heroin administered by professional nurses and doctors. And they say, well, you know, Louie, uh, they're going to go in there with their own heroin. Uh, no, they're not, folks. No, they're not. Because anybody knows from experience, when you go into a medical facility, you are not allowed to take your own prescription medications even. You sure as the heck not going to let you shoot up with your own heroin. Think about it. And who's going to pay for these injection sites? I am. And you are. That's why people need to voice their opinion saying, are you people totally insane? How can you even think about opening injection sites? Well, folks, like I said, the government's the largest employer in Vermont. A lot of people, they go to school. They get hooked on drugs. They go out into nightclubs and whatnot and get hooked on drugs. They get involved in sports and get hooked on drugs. A lot of times these drug dealers, they give away drugs just to get people hooked on them. And then what happens after that? That's when the government takes over. Okay, Mr. Drug Dealer, now that you got them hooked on drugs, we'll take over from here. You drug dealers all come to Vermont. We have an injection site on every corner. Just come on in and get your injection several times a day. Some nice, fresh, clean heroin or fentanyl. Don't have to worry about overdosing with that nasty stuff you bought in a back alley somewhere. We even have, what is it, Narcon? Narcon to revive you if you do overdose. And we have professional nurses and doctors to take care of you if you do overdose. It's like we're all living in a nightmare, folks. These drug addicts are just basically a meal ticket to the medical industry. You know, even doctors, a lot of doctors get people hooked on painkillers and opioids and whatnot. I think a lot of these doctors, they should be paying for people's rehabilitation. That would only make sense, wouldn't it? Doctors get you hooked on painkillers and Oxycontin and whatnot. They should be the ones to pay for your rehabilitation. Just makes sense. We're going to give it a rest for a second here. Time is 7.27. We've only got about a half hour left. My good friend Jerome P. Alimony will be coming in. He's the producer and founder of North Star Radio. He's on after me every week from 8 to 10. Most of his music is rap music. He's been doing some rapping himself lately, and I tell you, he's pretty talented. As good as any that I've heard, that's for sure. So we're going to give you a song right now called All of My Life by the Foo Fighters. And remember, you're tuned in to Louie Lavin. I'm your host, Louie, and we are definitely live. So you're going to want to turn this one up for the Foo Fighters. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. Close, close. 
All right, and that was All My Life with the Foo Fighters. They haven't had a song out in a while. They'll probably be out on tour this year. They're a really good band. I'd like to go see them myself someday. You have to leave the state of Vermont, though, because there isn't any place in Vermont to go see a concert. They used to have them up to Stowe at the ski resort, but the neighbors complained it was too loud. Or they have them at the ski resort up at Stratton Mountain. Saw Peter Frampton up there. That was an excellent concert. Probably the loudest concert I've ever been to in my life was Peter Frampton at Stratton Mountain. He's retired, Peter Frampton. He has an illness, and that's sad. But I think he's on his farewell tour. Too bad he's an excellent musician. You know, folks, there's a lot of people running for political office. You know, and that makes me wonder because when I see all these people running for president and they're raising 24 hours to the tune of $6 million, Bernie Sanders raised $6 million in 24 hours, Beto O'Rourke, the fake Mexican, raised over $6 million in 24 hours. And these guys feed on hardship. A lot of people, they get out of college, they're in debt up to their eyeballs. They talk about student loan forgiveness. They talk about free college education to the poor. But reality is a different thing, folks. These people are like the Pied Pipers to the naive and the gullible. The people who are afraid that if they don't get an education, they're going to be forced to live a life of hardship because that's the philosophy in this country now, folks. It used to be that you could start at a job at a company at the bottom and work your way to the top. That's what made this country so great. That was the American dream. You could start at the bottom and work your way to the top. But nowadays you see what's happening with these college and these rich actors and business owners. They're just paying these colleges millions of dollars. And a lot of their kids aren't even attending these colleges. They just send you a degree in the mail. And these kids are going to live off of their rich, famous parents' money till they die. They have no intentions of working. But they're going to have a degree hanging on the wall from a prestigious college. And I believe college such as Harvard or Yale or Princeton. And some of these kids are even confessing. They never even step foot on the campus. But their parents paid hundreds of millions of dollars to get a scholarship for their kids out of these Ivy League colleges. So they have the bragging rights. So they could tell their other rich friends, my kids have scholarships from Harvard. They're not telling you that they spent $500 million dollars I mean, $1,000, correct me, I'm sorry, to get their kids in there. They're not telling you this. They just want bragging rights. What is the reality? Bernie Sanders going around promising people free college education, 
while his wife Jane Sanders was the president of Burlington Community College in Burlington, Vermont, where we're broadcasting from. Their daughter, they were paying $500,000 to teach a woodworking class at a technical college. Then they wonder why the college went out of business. They wondered why they were being investigated, Bernie and Jane Sanders, by the FBI for bank fraud. You know, somebody on a local level got a hold of that case and swept it under the rug, but it doesn't change the fact that they lied on the bank loan application and committed bank fraud. Just proves that they have connection and they probably spent a lot of money keep themselves out of jail. Then you have these articles right here. Green Mountain College is closing at the end of the semester. The College of St. Joseph's is to close. Says months of turmoil comes to this. The College of St. Joseph's is closing. School president Jennifer Scott made the announcement this past Thursday. The Rutland School was working to find another institution to partner with, but fell through. Classes will end after the spring semester. Some students will transfer to Castleton University. Earlier this year, the New England Commission of Higher Education stripped St. Joseph's of its accreditation. So that's Burlington College, Green Mountain College, St. Joseph's College, Clothing. Next article, Southern Vermont College has dropped its appeal of New England Commission of Higher Education decision to withdraw the school's accreditation. Goes on and on and on. You know, enrollment is declining. They're about $6 million in debt. But it says former college president Karen Gross says she intends to save the college from closing. And she and others are reflecting on other options. Well, today's what, the 23rd of March, 2019. Mark that down on your calendars, folks, because I'm predicting within the next couple of weeks you're going to be seeing another statement coming from uh, President Karen Gross of Southern Vermont College saying that they are going to be closing at the end of the semester and they are in debt still at $6 million, which they can't get out of. But they'll always probably walk away with a nice golden parachute like Jane Sanders did from Burlington College. From what I understand, she got a bonus of like $250,000 when she walked away and they closed the doors on Burlington College. So folks, the reality is, while these guys are running for president, like Beto O'Rourke and Bernie Sanders, promising you free college education, you ask them, where am I going to go to college in Vermont? when the colleges are all closing. That's like four right there. How many more colleges are there? There's like UVM, 
St. Mike's. I've always said that these colleges are sitting on billions of dollars of endowment money. They don't need government funding. They could actually be financing student loans themselves. They could actually be helping students out with their living situation. Students want to buy an electric car, save the planet, help reduce the carbon footprint. Ask these colleges if they'll throw in a couple bucks to buy your electric car or electric bicycle. See what the answer is. They don't practice what they preach, folks. That's the reality of life. You're not going to be able to go to college because there won't be any more that are opened. Same thing with schools. They can't afford to repair the schools. So it's getting kind of risky to go to school nowadays. There's so much violence there. So what they'll do is they'll just start home educating more students. A lot of people don't even have to go to school. All you have to do is talk to your phone. Just say, hey, Siri, what is uh, 24 times 27? Bang, she'll tell you the answer. Siri, how tall is Mount Everest? She'll tell you. Siri, what is the weather for today? She'll tell you. You don't even have to go to school. It's coming down to that phone in your hand. That is going to be your teacher someday. You're going to turn on your email. There's going to be a test. You can research the internet. Get all the answers to the test. Just copy and paste it right in. It's going to be that simple. Think I'm crazy, but you know, folks, when I was on Vermont Community Access Television years ago, and they released the Internet to the public, there was only 50,000 people on the Internet worldwide. Can you imagine that? 50,000 people worldwide. My first computer I bought off the Home Shopping Club. That's when they released Windows 95. Everything was point and click. How simple could it be? My first computer had one gigabyte of memory. Isn't that insane? My phone has 128 gigabytes of memory right here. I have memory cards for my camera with like 500 gigs of memory. That's insane, isn't it? You can take hundreds of thousands of pictures, shoot hours and hours of video, all on a tiny little computer chip that fits inside of the camera. It's the way of the world, these computers, folks. Like I said, back when it came out with Windows 95 and there's only 50,000 people on the internet worldwide, I sat on public television, I told people one of these days, you would be able to sit at home in your pajamas and take computer courses over the internet. People used to call up and think I was nuts. But that's where we are today, folks.
just going to get worse. People aren't even leaving the house. A lot of them are working from home. Now, automobiles are starting to learn how to drive themselves. And it's going to come to the point where the insurance companies are going to step in and say, well, you know, it's too much of a risk for people to drive their own vehicles. So if you have to go into the office, you're just going to schedule your car to pick up right out front of your door and you'll hop in and it'll take you to the office. Or if you want to go to the beach for the day, a car will show up, take you to the beach. That'll help drive down the insurance cost because people won't be driving anymore and get into a bunch of accidents where they're on their phone not paying attention. You'll be able to just hop right in the car and the car will take you anywhere you want to go and you'll be able to sit on your phone and probably have a beer or two and smoke some pot. It's the way of the world's going to, folks. This article right here, Castleton University to offer cannabis studies certification. Can you imagine that? Go to college to learn how to cultivate marijuana and how to have a business selling it. A Vermont University plans to offer a cannabis studies program for students starting in the summer. Castleton University Business Administration Professor Paul Cohen, philosophy professors Brendan Lalar and Joe Barkowski and sociology and anthropology major Phil Lamy, collectively known as the Cannabis Studies Group. She ain't got a name picked out already, see? The Cannabis Studies Group proposed a certificate program at a last Thursday's faculty assembly meeting, and they received majority support. The Rutland Herald reports the 12-year credit 12-credit program, I'm sorry, would consist of three credit courses and three credit internships with a local institution on the philosophy, business, or sociology of cannabis cultivation and production. Bam, there you go. Lamy says, cannabis product companies have already reached out to the university with an interest in the certification program for employment opportunities. They're already lining up the ducks, folks. These businesses are looking to hire certified people to grow marijuana and run their companies selling marijuana. It's the newest trend. You know, first it was the microbreweries and the wineries. And then they came out with the distilleries now they're going to be selling marijuana. There aren't going to be any more florist shops, folks. It's going to be cannabis shops. Not so much money in those roses and daisies to be had. All these florist shops are going to be switching over to marijuana. Why buy your girlfriend a dozen roses for a birthday? Buy her some pot. Get her stoned. The new way of the world. It's the next craze. <laughs> you think I'm joking, huh? It's already coming. You can see the wave. Beto O'Rourke courts youth vote. 
at the Plymouth State. Of course he does. Democrat presidential candidate Beto, the fake Mexican O'Rourke, was campaigning for votes in New Hampshire this past Wednesday, the site of the first of the nation presidential primary. The youth vote could play a crucial role in determining the nominee, which means college campuses are a popular spot. And that's another thing they're talking about, folks. Lowering the voting age to 16. Isn't that something? You know, these people are 16 nowadays. They're not like when I was 16, when you had to go out and earn money by mowing lawns and painting fences and walking dogs and stuff like that. Nowadays, these kids are all walking around with a $1,000 iPhone that their parents bought them. They got a big screen TV in their bedroom, right? They got a refrigerator full of food. They don't have to do anything, these kids nowadays. It's all handed to them. You know, they're losing their work ethic. You know, as a parent, it's your responsibility to pass on your morals and your values and your work ethics to your children. To make sure that they grow up to be fine, outstanding adults. And the economy thrives and the world continues. And we remain, the United States of America, one of the most powerful nations in the world. Right? It's your obligation to do that. But that's not happening anymore. Instead, these kids are just laying around in bed, watching TV, sitting on their phone. No encouragement for them to get out of the house. Like I said, that's where education comes in. People send their kids off to get educated. Basically, just to get them out of the house for four years. And hopefully, while they're out of the house, they become responsible adults. And then they graduate, and they get a job somewhere but instead, that doesn't happen a lot anymore either because the kids are in debt and they can't afford to pay their bills. They can't afford an apartment. They can't afford an automobile, right? So they move back home with their parents. They pass laws so they can stay on your insurance until they're 27 years old. Isn't that crazy? They say your children can stay on your insurance until they're 27 years old. Well, you know, folks, my generation... When you're 27 years old, you weren't living at home with your parents. You know, you're already married. You already had a house. You got a couple kids. You got a dog. You're living the American dream. But it's not like that anymore. I don't think it ever will be again. What a lot of countries do is when kids graduate from high school, they have to go into the military for a year or two. I think that's a good thing because it would teach you some responsibility and it would teach you a love and a respect for the country that you live in, regardless of where you are. It would encourage you to stay in your country and work to make things better. You don't come to America and demand that you get free education, free welfare. It's not the way it goes, folks. Things have to change. 
We're going to be wrapping it up pretty soon. We've got about eight minutes to go. My friend Jerome P. Alimony is in the house, founder of North Star Radio. He's on every Friday after me from 8 to 10. Hope you all stick around and listen to him. He looks like he's got a whole crowd of people that he's bringing on tonight. Last week he had some people on there giving away tickets. Probably concert tickets. But he's got a lot of fires and iron going on, you know. Myself, uh, I'm starting to get into podcasting. And uh, I've got my podcast going to Anchor. And that automatically sends it off to 10 different places. I got my uh, podcast accepted by Radio.net. And that has thousands of places where you can listen to it. And now I'm creating an account through uh, Audioport. Which gives access to over 200 radio stations to upload your show and syndicate it. And I'm also waiting to hear from iHeartRadio. So myself, I've got a lot of things going on too. And it's all very time-consuming. And one thing I learned is that at the station here, we have a software program called Audacity. And you can convert your show into different formats. But with Audioport, for instance, the format of Audacity doesn't fit their needs. But with Anchor, it does. But when you're using Anchor, it's very simple. You just put down your phone and you record your show. But then you have to figure out how you're going to transfer your show from Anchor over to Audioport. You know, there's got to be simpler ways. Besides sitting around recording shows and then converting them to feed all these ever different formats. One show, for instance, like uh, Audio Port, your shows have to be 58 minutes. Some places they have to be 57 minutes or they have to be cut down to 59 minutes. So you have three or four different recording devices going plus all the equipment in here. Sometimes it gets to be a little bit much for one person, especially when you're green like I am, but it's a learning thing and it's all good. Makes you feel better after you've accomplished these things. But see, that's what this country is about, folks. You can come down here to the station. It's called the Media Factory. And we will teach you how to run all this equipment. You just have to put in a little volunteer time. It's all free. You could go to college and spend tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars on education and broadcasting. You know what I'm saying? Or you can come down here and do it for free. So where do we leave you with? Bernie Sanders announces a campaign carbon offset effort. This is something that I don't understand. It says uh, it will offset all carbon emissions from its travel activities. Well, how do you do that? I mean, last month I was reading articles where Bernie's traveling around spending $300,000 a month on private jets. And it says the senator is partnering with an organization called Native Energy to invest its emissions reduction projects 
Campaign officials said they will offset event venture in attendee-related emissions, offsetting carbon emissions. See, it's all a bunch of technical jargon, so you get lost. You don't even know what the heck you're talking about here or trying to read. It's all a bunch of BS, folks. You know, he's talking about reducing the carbon footprint. Vermont's not even big enough to have a carbon footprint. <laughs> right? I don't know. We're going to let you go here. And I'm going to see you back here next week. My friend Jerome P. Alimony is going to take over. What you got going on tonight, buddy? Oh, man, it's my mama's birthday. Happy birthday, mama. That's my mama's <laughs> birthday. We're going to party. I'm playing the old school classics, hip hop, all that good stuff. Wow. So stay tuned, people. You won't be disappointed. How many people are you cramming in here tonight? Oh, you know, I got a couple people coming up from... Uh, What's the name? They came up from uh, uh, Lake Placid, New York. Yeah. You know, I met them out at uh, Plattsburgh on New Year's, and we linked up. They got some good music, so we're going to do an interview with them. You doing Just any rapping yourself tonight? <coughs> I retired. You retired? <laughs> <laughs> he just, he's over before he started. I want to see some of that on YouTube. He's you know pretty it, good. Buddy. You know how we do. I was really shocked when I was driving home and I was listening to you. I, oh, yes, I, I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I, I said, it sounds just like Jerome, and then it was. That was me. Oh, yeah. He's as good as the rest I've ever heard, that's for sure. Oh, you know, I try, I try to be modest. Yeah. <laughs> Get that on YouTube so we can plug it out there. You know how we do. WBTV LP, Burlington, Vermont. That's what we do. That's right. So I'm going to take off and I'll leave you here in good hands. Gonna leave you with a little bit of cake and hope you enjoy the show. And I'll see you back here next Friday, 6 to 8 p.m. Bye. I need your arms around me, I need to feel your touch.